We ask this morning that you speak into our hearts and make us more like Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. You guys can be seated, and if you're one of our kids, K through 5, you can be dismissed to Sunshine Kids Club. Continue in worship with God's Word. What an incredible way to worship Christ through greater understanding of who He is, but also God's Word is living and active, and I believe it draws us into greater worship of Him. We're going to finish up uh, the book of Daniel uh, today. So if you have equated it with the COVID uh, virus in terms of length of time, it's only been about half. But we will find an ending uh, today, and I'm excited about it. I think, I think it's a beautiful ending to the book of uh, Daniel. Corey Tenboom and her sister Betsy were fervent followers of Jesus Christ in the very hopeless conditions of Ravensbrück concentration camp in Germany. This is World War II. They were not Jewish. But they were arrested and detained in this labor camp because they had been part of the Underground Railroad, trying to save Jews and help them safely get out of Germany to safety. They had been arrested and, and their entire family, in fact, 30 members uh, of their clan uh, and helpers of the resistance movement there in Holland had been arrested and, and taken to different prisons. Corey and, and her sister were together. They had a Bible that was smuggled into prison. They were able to lead a little Bible study for the women in their dormitory area. They sang songs of uh, praise. They offered encouragement through prayer. They were in hopeless, deplorable conditions, but they discovered a deepening faith in the midst of that hopelessness in the midst of that prison. In fact, Corey would go on later to say this about their hope in Christ. She said, in order to test the worth of the anchor, we need to feel the stress of the storm. What potent words. In order to feel the worth of the anchor, we need to feel the stress of the storm. You know how it is. If you're in a little cove, you're at anchor, in a boat and it's placid waters, the wind is still, and you don't know if your anchor's any good or not. You're just kind of drifting back and forth, a couple of feet here, a couple of feet there, enjoying the sunshine. But if you are in the midst of a storm of wind and wave that is mercilessly beating your boat and pulling at you, it is at that point that you discover how good your anchor is. If it is worthwhile, if it is strong enough to be life-saving for you and all those that are on the boat. That is what Corey and Betsy found out. Of course, her reference is to Jesus Christ as her hope. They would not only cling to Christ themselves, but they would point those around them to Jesus on December 16th, 1944, Betsy, her sister, went home to be with the Lord. But these were her final words. 
we must tell them, speaking to Corey, we must tell them what we have learned there. We must tell them that there is no pit so deep that he is not deeper still. They will listen to us, Corey, because we have been here. Those were her last words. She went home to be with the Lord. And Corey was released two weeks later by a clerical error. And she was given God's message to take to the world, and she did over the next 30 years. Uh, perhaps you've read her book, The Hiding Place, or Tramp for the Lord. Perhaps you've seen movies put together about her. But she traveled worldwide. She even came back to, to, to uh, Germany and met privately in person with the guards that had uh, beat them and imprisoned them and forgave them. She took a message of hope to the deplorable conditions of this dark world. To people who are lost without Jesus Christ, she brought the grace of the gospel for the next 30 years. She told them about the worth of the anchor, and of course she took that metaphor from Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. We read this, this hope, this hope in Christ, is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It is in Jesus Christ that we find everything that we need. Whether conditions are comfortable and fantastic, as they had been for Corey and Betsy in Holland, in the watchmaking shop, even though they were followers of Christ there, strong members of the Dutch Reformed Church, they were comfortable, and they didn't realize all that Christ was doing for them. But when they were in prison, when they were in a condition of hopelessness, when they were in a dark place, that's when they began to realize the worth of their anchor. That's when they begin to realize what Jesus Christ offers. And that's the nature of our message today. We want to see through Daniel chapter 12 that our confident expectation is that Jesus will deliver his all-sufficient grace as promised. And my challenge to you, if you're in a good place, if you're in a comfortable place, it might be more difficult for you to really cling to Christ, to depend upon him. But I would challenge you to make that your desire today, to ask for God's grace, to be able to experience his all-sufficient grace. There may be ways that you need it, blind spots that you're not aware of right now. But if you are in a, a bad spot... If you are in a hopeless condition, this is a great, great truth, biblical truth for us, that we can have a confident expectation. That's what biblical hope is, confident expectation. It's not mathematical probability or logical deduction. No, it's a confident expectation that God will deliver as promised. And so we want to be those that hope in Christ this morning, we live in a world of the three C's. I mention them every week, chaos, coronavirus, coming election. And any one of them at any time can throw us off our game, right? They can take us right from anger to despair, from fight to flight, from confidence to hopelessness. But in the midst of that and through it all, all the spectrums as we're going back and forth, We've got to put our hope in Christ, and that's got to be something that is expressed. And this morning, we want to unpack that just a little bit to see what it, what it, what it means to put our hope in Christ, what it looks like 
because we need him to deliver on his promises to protect and to provide, for his grace to be sufficient, for him to give us that peace that surpasses all understanding, for him to restore our joy, for him to lead us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We need Jesus. And our hope is in him, our confident expectation. Well, Daniel, this morning, the reason we would talk about hopelessness is because that's the condition he's in here in chapter 12 as we start this. We pick up on the vision of chapter 11, the fourth and final vision that Daniel is given. And really, it has just been a bombardment of intense suffering for Israel. And so there's a sense of hopelessness for Daniel. And, and really the biggest thing on his mind is, what is the destiny of our nation? What is going to happen here to Israel? Does Israel have a future now or in the last days? And God's going to answer those questions for him. Because this final chapter is laced with hope. It's rooted in God's faithfulness. It's realized in God's power to deliver. And it finds us rejoicing that God has an individual plan for each one of us. He's got that for Daniel, and that plays out at the very end of the book. What a beautiful thing to see. So I want to look at verse, verse 12, chapter 12, verses 1 to 4. At first, and the first thing we're going to see is that our hope is rooted in the faithfulness of God. God is faithful to keep his promises. We can trust him at his word because he has proven himself. His, his character, as he tells us in scripture, is that he cannot lie, that he is faithful and that he is true. Our experience with him is that he is faithful. Colossians 1 tells us that Christ sustains us. If he didn't hold us together, every atom would fly apart, right? If he didn't supply us with oxygen, we would die. He sustains us in incredible ways. And in, in Daniel chapter 11, in the first 35 verses, there are 135 predictions that were future to Daniel, but they are historical to us. And they have been proven true. God's word is true. God's word is faithful. And so when we think about our hope in Christ and we think about him delivering on his promises, we say, okay, yeah, God is faithful. We can trust him. That's what happens for Daniel here. There are two promises in these first four verses at the end of this fourth vision. In the verses 36 to 45 of chapter 11, we saw all about the Antichrist. But these verses talk about the future of Israel. So they begin to address for Daniel, what is the future of Israel here? The two promises are these, that Israel will be delivered and there will be a resurrection of those who are asleep. Two promises. Primarily verses 1 to 3. The first promise includes the truth that Israel will show, will experience a tremendous distress. Let me read verse 1. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people. So the angel is reminding uh, Daniel of Michael, the guardian angel, and he just talks plainly about the spiritual warfare. Remember, we saw that back in chapter 10. This is the archangel Michael, who is the defender of Israel. He stands guard over your people. 
He's going to stand up, and there will be a time of distress, such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone, your, your people, everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. So he speaks of a deliverance, but first he says there's going to be a tremendous distress greater than there has ever been in the nation of Israel. That was first mentioned in the book of the law, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 30. This great distress that will take place in the, in the latter days. And then Jesus mentioned it in Matthew chapter 24, verse 21. He called it the great tribulation that would take place. And then, of course, in Revelation chapters 6 through 19, we see these judgments playing out in and around and on Israel. The first promise is that Michael, the guardian angel, the defender of Israel, will deliver Israel by intervention. There's two deliverances here. There's two deliverances that uh, come about. They come about at the end of the tribulation. The first one is a physical deliverance, and that is actually hopeful for the Jews. It's hopeful for Daniel to realize that uh, despite all this times of the Gentiles the, and the subjugation to the Gentiles, that there will be a time when the Jews are free of that. It will happen at the end of the tribulation. There's also a spiritual deliverance. And we read that they, all of those who are in the book will be rescued. Those are the ones whose names are in the book of life. They will be delivered spiritually. These are ones who come to faith during the tribulation. They put their faith in Messiah. They recognize him as Messiah and they trust him. And they will be delivered spiritually. We'll see more about that in verses 2 and 3. They acknowledge Jesus Christ. So there are two deliverances here that come about. And that's a promise that gives Daniel hope. The second promise that we see in verses 2 and 3 is that there will be a resurrection of righteous Israelites who die during this time of trouble. So that's the second question that really gets answered. What about those who die in the persecution, in the tribulation? We read this in verse 2. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. These to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. This promise is the first Old Testament expression of a twofold resurrection. It's the first time that we get the mention of a resurrection for the righteous and a resurrection for the wicked in the Old Testament. We see that very clearly in John chapter 5, verses 28, 29, 24. It's also the clearest expression of eternal life in the Old Testament where he says these will be resurrected to everlasting life. That's got to wash over Daniel uh, like a breath of cool air, a breeze of cool air, uh, like cool water in an arid desert to realize that or, or to be reminded that there is a resurrection and an eternity beyond the grave. To hear it clearly as part of this vision. Scripture speaks of primarily three resurrections. There's the resurrection at the end of the church age here that we're in at the rapture. 
those who are dead in Christ, asleep, as we say. The, the sleep here is not uh, soul sleep, it's the body that is in the ground. The soul has gone to be with the Lord. The second resurrection is the one here at the end of the tribulation for the believers who come to Christ during the tribulation, the believing Jews. And the third main resurrection is there at the end of the millennial reign when there is judgment for all of the unbelieving dead. When Christ gives judgment, we find those in Revelation chapter 20, verses 4 to 6. Well, following the resurrection, we read that there will be rewards for those who are part of the resurrection. For the believing Jews, God is going to honor them in the, the millennial kingdom. We read this in verse 3. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. And those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So these people who have insight, these people who are wise, these people who remain faithful to Messiah during the tribulation, they are the ones who will be rewarded. They will shine brightly with the glory of God in the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. They will serve with him. And so there is not only a resurrection, but a reward for those that are resurrected because they are faithful to Messiah. Verse 4 tells us that Daniel is told to keep the document, this book uh, of all the visions and the prophecies. Strange words are used here. He uses the word conceal, but that's just a word that means to store the original for safekeeping after you make a copy. And it was a term that was used in the ancient Near East. And then to uh, seal it meant to certify that these words are God's words, that every scribe would put their cylindrical seal on a scroll and let people know that it was authenticated. So he's not saying keep this from people. No, he's saying keep it available, just keep the original. Sealed and certified, concealed and made available to people. These promises gave Daniel hope. They will provide hope to the Jews living in the 70th week of the tribulation. That's seven years that take place after the rapture. These promises are true because they are rooted in the faithfulness of God and his very character. And we have a confident expectation that they will be fulfilled. And that's why we can take hope in them. We know the joy of living by trusting God, knowing that he is faithful, experiencing his joy, his mercies, which are new every morning, his peace, which surpasses understanding, regardless of the circumstances that we're going through. We know what it is to put our hope in Christ and experience True hope with a confident expectation in dark times because he is true to his word and he delivers on his promises. Well, our hope is rooted in the faithfulness of God. We can trust him. And next we discover that our deliverance is realized by the power of God in verses 5 through 12. If you've ever felt, felt like you've got way too many questions when you come to Scripture, then you're in good company because that's what Daniel has been like these last six chapters, hasn't he? Lots of questions for God, and he continues to have them. And even there's some things here that, that, that God says that we don't have answers for. 
today. But the book is going to close here in verses 5 through 12 with two questions, two answers. One question will be asked by an angel. Another question will be asked by Daniel himself. Here's the first question. Question number one, how long until these astonishing times are over? How long before the end? This is what we see in verses 5 through 7. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others were standing, one on the bank of this river and one on the other uh, bank of the river. He's on the river Tigris, and there's an angel on either side, and they are looking at the Lord who is above the river. And one said to the man dressed in linen, this is the Lord, the Son of Man, who is above the waters of the river, how long will it be until the end of these wonders? How long until these astonishing times end? I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river as he raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And so as we've seen before in chapter 7, that refers to three and a half years. So even that is a message of hope for the Israelites, that they will be subjugated, that the Antichrist will rule for seven years, but the intense suffering will only be for three and a half years. Now, if you're like me, you're thinking, we could do with none of that, you know, Lord. Um, but that's part of it. Seven years and only three and a half intense suffering. That's part of the hope that, that the Lord is instilling here. And we'll see a little bit more because he's going to give the purpose. He's going to throw this in. That wasn't part of the question. But he's going to kind of give the purpose for this intense suffering of Israel during the tribulation as he is bringing the nation back. And we read this at the end of verse 7. And as soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people, all these events will be completed. Shattering the power of Israel. That's the purpose of the tribulation. Antichrist is going to rule for seven years. God's going to allow that. He's going to allow him to break the pride of Israel. God is going to bring Israel to the end of the limits of their power and their strength and their wisdom and their ability and their self-sufficiency. He is going to break them so that they will turn to him, so that they will recognize their need for Messiah, so that they will recognize Jesus Christ as the Messiah. God's power and deliverance typically show up in our weakness, don't they? And we see that throughout Scripture. In Egypt, the Israelites are in tremendous suffering. They're in slavery hundreds of years. They are made, things are made harsher and harsher as they go along. And out of that suffering, God delivers them. He opens up the Red Sea. He brings them through the wilderness. What about our own salvation? I love the words that are used in Romans chapter 5 that, that speak of the condition of the unregenerate heart, the person who has not yet placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And, and it uses terms like godless and rebellious and deserving of wrath, sinners, and helpless. And helpless. And what do we read in the midst of it? But God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet helpless, Christ died for us. Christ died for the ungodly. 
God's power to deliver shows up in our weakness. And for all who place their faith in Jesus Christ, we are forgiven of our sins. The penalty of sin is gone. The power of sin is broken. And one day we will be removed from the presence of sin. God's power shows up in our weakness. Don't we live the Christian life like that? One of the greatest promises that I cling to on a daily basis is in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, where Jesus told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in your weakness. God's power to deliver shows up in times of weakness. And so the Lord gives us the purpose for the tribulation. He's going to take Israel to the end of their limits, the end of their strength, the end of themselves, so that they will turn to him. That's an act of goodness and grace. He does that in our lives, doesn't he? He brings us to the end of ourselves because we're comfortable, because we're self-sufficient. And then things, there's a hiccup, there's a bump in the road. Things don't go well. And we begin to turn to Christ because we have hope in him. We realize there's no hope in this world. But because of his goodness and grace, we realize his power to deliver. When the Lord provides the opportunity to shatter the people of Israel, he is offering them hope because it will cause them to turn to him. That's the first question. How long for these astonishing times with the purpose thrown in? The second question is this. What will be the outcome of these events? Daniel is asking this one. What will be the outcome of these events? We see this in verses 8 through 10. As for me, I heard but could not understand. So I said, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? He said, go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up until the end of time. Many will be purged and purified and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly. And none of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. Daniel is curious as to how Israel will look in the tribulation and beyond. And he gets an answer that says these things are far in the future, they're for the end time. He gets a partial answer when he says that those who suffer will grow spiritually. There will be a spiritual purification, a, a spiritual cleansing, if you will. For those who turn to Christ, for those who remain faithful to Messiah, for those who turn to him because they have insight, they hear and they heed, they listen and they obey, and they find their hope in Jesus Christ. It goes beyond that, even to a purging. The wicked, those who do not hear and heed, will do what the wicked do. They will act wickedly. And then at the end of the verse 10, none of the wicked will understand because there will be a hardening of their hearts since they do not listen and obey. Then in verses 11 and 12, he adds some dates to this that are rather obscure even to those of us that study God's word today, you and me and, and scholars. We read this in verses 11 and 12. From the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished 
and the abomination of desolation is set up. Now we know that that's the midpoint of the tribulation, right? The Antichrist breaks his covenant with Israel, goes from being the great protector of Israel to the greatest persecutor of Israel. There will be 1,290 days. Now, if you've been tracking with us, time, times, and half a time, three and a half years, 42 months, 1,260 days. So we've got 1,290 here, an extra 30 days, and we're not told what that is. Uh, a lot of scholars have uh, uh, thought out different ideas that it could be. Uh, the, the one that I've settled on is, I, I believe that probably 30 days before the midpoint, when he breaks the covenant, he's going to announce, I'm going to set up this abomination of desolation, this statue of myself in the temple, and I'm going to cut off sacrifices in 30 days. That's the best I can do. And then he gives us this in verse 12. How blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to the 1335 days, another 45 days on the end. And I see that at the end of the tribulation, after the second coming, after Christ has defeated all the nations and the Antichrist. 45-day period to judge Israel, to judge the nations, to set up the practicalities of the millennial kingdom. I know we have technology and, and we have all kinds of FX and, and we think it could happen just like that. But maybe there's a time frame in there where the Lord is preparing people to reign with him in the millennial kingdom. We don't know what these dates are, but we know that they're here. We know that they are true and they are part of the hope of the end times. The hope of this section is not in number of days, though. It's in God's power to deliver. That's what this hope of this section is, that, that, that even he would be gracious enough to bring the Israelites to the end of themselves that they might turn to him. I suspect that's the story of many of us here. Before we came to Christ, the Lord brought us to the end of ourselves, and we recognized him and turned to him and experienced his power to deliver us from sin, guilt, and shame, and death. I'm sure it's the experience of many of us as followers of Jesus Christ. We go coasting along, things are going great, and we kind of get comfortable, get big and mighty in ourselves, and then we come to the end of ourselves, and our time with Christ, our communion with him becomes much more precious and much more powerful. That's why it's so hard for those of us that are comfortable at times to turn to Christ, but much easier in times of the confines of hopelessness, just like Corey and Betsy discovered. The Israelites are going to see God's power to deliver during the tribulation. We've seen it in our lives. Daniel is now infused with hope, a confident expectation that God is going to work for his people and that's an incredible thing. Not for Oklahoma. Nope. Absolutely not for California or New York, but for Texas. That's what Daniel is feeling here. Because these are God's chosen people. And he's wondering, he's been wondering, why is there so much intense suffering all along? Why is it always about them over us? Well, part of it's the goodness of grace of God to bring them to Jesus, just like he does in our lives. God's hope infusion. 
Well, verse 13, we close with this. Our hope rejoices in God's individualized care for us. It's the most incredible thing to me, the way he finishes out, that the God who has a plan for the nations, a God who works the plan for the nations, all that we've seen over these prophecies and visions and predictions and fulfillments and that to come has a plan for individuals as well. That he cares for you and me. He cares for Daniel deeply. And that's what he's going to express to Daniel. He's going to give Daniel personal hope here. We have four important words that come out of verse 13. As a good pastor, I made them all start with the same letter. The letter R. And they work for Daniel. They work for your life and my life. They work in times of chaos, coronavirus, and coming election. Because this is what God is calling Daniel to do at this time. This is what he's calling us to do here 2,500 years later. Verse 13. But as for you, go your way to the end. Then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. The first R is this, resolve. Go your way to the end. Back in chapter 8, we saw the little phrase, carry on with the king's business. This sets the standard, not just for Daniel, but for every Christian who is a follower of Jesus Christ. Go your way to the end. Remain faithful. What are those words of Christ? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Daniel is close to 90 years old. He's lived an incredible life, at least 70 years serving the various kings that served in Babylon. And, and over this time, God has used him in mighty ways. And he's come to realize there's spiritual warfare going on behind the scenes. He's come to realize that God has a place for him. And even though he's almost 90 years old, God still lays out this challenge for him. Remain faithful to the end. Is he doing that just to put Daniel under his thumb? No, he's saying, hey, you want to experience the best life? Walk with me. Stay faithful, Daniel. Serve me. That's what he's done. He's always translated his knowledge of God, his understanding of God into transformation. It hasn't just been resident in his head, but it's become part of his heart. It made him a man of conviction, and God used that to make him a man of prediction so that he could impact the nations. He has a blessed future, which we'll see. The second word is rest. Enter into your rest, we see in 12, 13. The believer in Jesus Christ finds rest in death. God says that to Daniel in the Old Testament. We had a celebration of life here on Tuesday afternoon for Deanna Wicks. After her shocking and, and sudden departure, her body was here, but her soul was not, because we told in Scripture that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That is why we can call death rest, because everything is gone from this world, wiped away, and we enter into an eternal rest in the presence of our Lord. Psalm 16 even says that in your presence is fullness of joy. We begin to experience outrageous joy in his presence. The third R is resurrection. He goes on to tell Daniel in 12, 13, and rise again. Resurrection. This is the hope of God's people. Even from the Old Testament, 
that there is something beyond the grave, that we will be bodily raised and there is an eternity beyond the grave. And we see that clearly throughout the New Testament, don't we? 1 Thessalonians 4 talks about that resurrection of God's people, reunion of God's people. 1 Corinthians 15 makes it clear that it's based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There will be a resurrection, and that is our hope. And our hope is sure because it's rooted in the truthfulness of God. The fourth R is reward. He says, Daniel, after your resurrection, you will have your allotted portion at the end of the age. In verse 13. All who trust in the Lord will receive his blessing during the tribulation will receive his blessings in the millennial kingdom. We know that's true in our lives, right? If we are faithful to the task that he has given us, there will be rewards. First Corinthians three, second Corinthians five. There's a judgment seat of Christ, not to shame and condemn, but to reward those who have been faithful in their service. And so we have great things to look forward to. We have a sure confident expectation a hope in Jesus Christ that we can cling to, that gives us an eternal perspective, that draws us up out of the quagmire of the chaos, the circumstances in which we normally find ourselves on a daily basis. Hope is a confident expectation that God will deliver as, po as promised. Our hope is the confident expectation that Jesus Christ will deliver his all-sufficient grace as promised. And our need, whether we are comfortable or in chaos, is to turn to Jesus Christ, to trust him, depend upon him, experience life to the fullest in him. May that be your experience now as you make that your resolve. And I look forward to the day that we all find rest and resurrection reward, and even reunion in Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus.